I think you hit on something that's hugely important, and a lot of martial arts teachers have felt a little bit of that pushback once in a while, where if you're not somebody who knows how to stay safe, then you sometimes perceive people who do approach life from that position as being afraid of being insulated, of being armored. And I think early in our process of training in self-defense, we kind of do that. I think it's, a it's like the, the pupil stage of becoming a martial artist. But when you are safe and you know you're safe or you know how to stay safe, that does, as you say, it opens up opportunities. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Conversations from the Heart. Today, we are joined by Mr. Jason Brick. He's up in Hillsboro, Oregon. Mr. Brick, how are you doing this morning? Fantastic. How about your own selves, gentlemen? We're doing, we're doing great. Well. We're doing you. great. So, Mr. Brick, we're very excited to sit down and talk with you today. For most of our students, they don't know who you are, even though I know you're a very accomplished martial artist, writer, done a lot of things. And I want to talk to you today a little bit about this upcoming book that you have. But before we get started on that, can you tell my students a little bit about your martial arts training, how you got started, what inspired you to continue on that path, and, and where are you today? Absolutely. So it, my martial, I like to say that my self-defense training began in third grade when I joined my um, elementary school's cross-country team mm. because avoiding injury through rapid flight remains my favorite form of <laughs> self-defense. Um, I got into martial arts... Uh, when I was 11 years old, when I joined the, my middle school wrestling team, mm -hmm. did that through middle school and high school, got into college, and I wasn't insane enough to be a college wrestler. I don't know if you guys know college wrestlers, but they are nuts. They are insane. Um, and so I wasn't, I wasn't quite ready for that. And I did a few, you know, spent about three years doing those, uh, those elective classes, a little Taekwondo here, a little Aikido there, some fencing, etc. And then I... There's a Kempo school within walking distance of my dorm, and I ended up there and was fortunate enough that the staff there was amazing. And so Kempo has been my home art now for, see, that was like 1993, so good Lord, coming on to 30 years. Mm -hmm. And I've trained in Kempo fairly consistently, but along the way, I've done some capoeira, some Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I've, uh, you know, if there's a seminar, I'll go take it. I've been, a, you know, I've been feeding my martial arts habit for a very long time. Did some uh, Muay Thai there in the 90s when I was still young and dumb and my joints didn't hurt. <laughs> and, and yeah, so I continue, I continue to train in Kempo and uh, Goju Shori weapons right now. That's awesome. Mm. And do you have a, a school mm. right, right now? I do some seminars and some, uh, you know, the, until before the COVID lockdown, I was teaching the neighborhood kids out of my garage. I ran a school for most of the 2000s. Mm. But then just for me, because, you know, running the school is an evening and weekends job. Uh, when I had my kids that I've, for me, that just wasn't the kind of dad I wanted to be. So I mm, shifted sure. my career at that time. Yes. And what I will say, you mentioned that, um, you know, I make my living as a freelance writer now. Mm. And I would not have been able to do that if it were not for the uh, personal discipline and work ethic of being in the martial arts community for so long. Yes, there you you go, know, honestly, yeah, <laughs> honestly. It is as though that entire industry is moving through molasses in slow motion. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's awesome. What a story. And uh, sounds like you're actually pretty similar to myself. You know, I started yeah. out in, 
you know, a traditional, a traditional martial art like Taekwondo and done that my whole life. But along the way, of course, you know, we are so curious and we want to learn it all. And so we explore and try new things and grow and develop. And I think that's the mark of a, a good martial artist, one who's got an open mind, because, you know, there are some people who get stuck in their ways and, you know, get kind of insular. Um, but that's very exciting. So tell us a little bit about this book um, and, you know, how you got started and, and what it's about. Sure thing. So a little bit of backstory there uh, about coming out of two years ago, I started a podcast called Safest Family on the Block, which is where I took my lens as a martial artist for you know almost 40 years and a father for 21 combined years and a journalist freelance writer for the last 13. And I interview subject matter experts about how to keep our kids safe. Mm -hmm. And that's everything from my very first episode was a paramedic. I've had a CIA agent, a suicide counselor, communication specialists. I'm trying to get a driver's ins driving instructor or an insurance adjuster on there to talk about that. But trying to really broaden the perspective of safety. Because most of the time when people think about family safety there, they're going to go take some kind of concealed conceal carry class on the weekend. Right. Right. But they may or may not put their seatbelt on while they drive to it. <laughs> and so I wanted to, you know, first of all, have this excuse to talk with really knowledgeable people about stuff I want to learn, but also to broaden the, uh, the viewpoint on what family safety was. And then one of the things that came out of that was I had a, just a, you know, a series of stone badasses on the, on the, on the podcast, Rory Miller came on, Nick Hughes, uh, Tony Blauer is going to be coming on for this next episode. You know, legitimate tough guys, bodyguards, yeah. CIA agents. Yeah. And every single one of them would say something about how important, how much more important avoiding a fight was than winning a fight hmm. or the de or defining winning a, f a fight as avoiding the fight in the first place. And if you look at the, the literature in martial arts, we don't really pay nearly as much attention to that as we should. You know, we got lots of, you know, hundreds, thousands of books on how to avoid a punch landing on you or how to deal with somebody who throws a punch. Very few books on how to not have that person throw a punch in the first place. So I had this idea and I pitched it to some of these same stone badasses and they, they were behind it 100%. And the book's called There I Was When Nothing Happened. And it's a collection of stories from these people about a time they avoided violence through using skills like evasion, preparation, awareness, uh, de-escalation through humor, uh, de-escalation through intimidation, or simply running like hell. Yeah. That's really awesome. Uh, Jesse was prepping me for this interview and he was telling me about your book and he said it was a working title, but I said, man, that's the best title I've had in a long time. That's really good. So. <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I've, I've been trying to come up with a better title because I'm not great at titles, but everybody I say is like, no, 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 that, that one's going to work. Buddy. Yes, that, that's gonna... Well, I, and you know, you know? It, it's, it, it's both poetic, but also so important because I think a lot of young buck martial artists think that the only thing that matters is when it's exciting. But mm -hmm. a lot of the hard work is done when it's not exciting. You know, absolutely. The strength is made in the little actions along the way and not the big event that may or may not ever come. Mm -hmm. um, no, absolutely. And that's, that applies to so many aspects of our training. Even, even that moment in your 20s training when you realize that you're getting bored during the push-ups instead of tired, <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> that, you know, that point that we all, we all got to at some point, but that's, again, that you do that extra, that next 100 push-ups, not because it's exciting, not because you're struggling, but 
to grow as a martial artist and as a person. Mm. And then I think most martial artists have that experience where you could have made the wrong decision and gone and had it, something that seemed like one of those scenes in the bars in the old Westerns. Mm -hmm. But instead, you got in your car and went home. Mm -hmm. And to you know, really underscore that that is so much more of a victory than going in and risking your health, your freedom, your financial stability, your ability to take care of your family or even see your family again. You know, that's that's the real victory. Yeah. Well, I am definitely going to be picking up your book when it comes out. Um, where where can it where is it going to be appearing? So we're going to use a, doing a Kickstarter model for it. Okay. And as of tomorrow, we'll have the preview page up on the Kickstarter. And okay. then it'll be live for backers on the 21st of February and run through March 17th, I think. Don't necessarily quote me on the 17th because I didn't think to bring a piece of paper with that written down on. And I've been hit in the head a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> no problem. Well, give yeah. us that information and we'll link it absolutely to the video so that they can uh, check you out. Uh, one of the reasons I brought it up because I would love to get that, my hands on a book like that. And I think I'm not alone. I think there's a lot of martial arts instructors out there that are really looking for those answers. Mm. You know, in the industry, one of the number one uh, topics of discussion is, you know, verbal judo or anti-bullying mm. strategies. And, you know, it's a, it's a complicated topic. There, there's some uh, sort of philosophical landmines to kind of navigate as well as it's a topic that after 31 years in the martial arts, I have to be honest, I haven't been exposed to as much as I would mm -hmm. like from my instructors, you know, maybe a few snippets here and there, but, you know, we talk a lot more about how to punch and when to punch and, and not so much, well, how do you de-escalate violence so that you don't have to even get in that situation? Um, but I think it's yeah. something that would be so valuable. It's ultimately the goal, the highest goal of the martial arts. And I was really inspired by Morhai Yushiba's um, concept mm. of, you know, subduing your opponent without hurting them. Mm. But you and I both know that that's an incredibly hard, hard <laughs> feat to do mm. you know it's a, it's a little bit romantic although you know if i can mm. I, I will but um i think the, the easiest way to do that in the fight it may be almost impossible but in um in but if you do it before the fight with that verbal mm -hmm. judo then it's very yeah. possible absolutely and i i've divided the book into five sections that kind of kind of create a curriculum uh, and the stories, it, each of the stories falls into at least one of these different categories, starting with preparation. You know, what can you do before you even show up at the situation to reduce your chances of being victimized? One of the things, and this goes right to what you're saying about bullying uh, training, that one of the issues with being a martial artist for a long time, by the time you've been a martial artist long enough that people ask you for your advice about bullying, mm -hmm. because martial arts train out that victim vibe. Mm -hmm. it's been a decade since you were bullied. We yeah. might not be the most qualified people to talk <laughs> to people about bullying. It's been a, it's been a minute. Yeah. Um, or things like uh, when you travel with your family, making sure that your hotel's in a decent neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Those are ways to avoid violence and confrontation. And then moving from there to situational awareness, being in the bar and noticing that, hey, you know, everybody just left, right? Or everybody's watching that guy who just walked in. Yeah, and then and then from that avoidance into, <clears throat> excuse me, 
into, uh, sorry, that was awareness, then avoidance about ways to get around things, move away, mm. not get into the confrontation. Then the de-escalation, which is your verbal judo, which is sometimes raw intimidation, using humor. And then finally to escape where, okay, if I don't move quickly in that direction right now, I might get into a fight and just making sure that everybody knows that it's okay to, you know, run. I do love, what was it? What we used to call it? Shudo, right? Nike foo. <laughs> um, right. Like one of the stories I'll include there is from that CIA agent, agent who carries a $5 bill around. Yeah. And if he thinks it's going to get ugly, he drops the $5 bill <laughs> because the eyes will follow the $5 bill. Yeah. And that gives you the quarter of a second you need to turn tail and run. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. And I'd spend five bucks to not yeah, get into a fight any day of the week. Yeah. It's like Batman, like the, the smoke bomb. Boom. Yeah, you exactly. It's a smoke bomb. <laughs> it's a smoke bomb they won't take away when you go through airport security. Right. Yeah, there you go. That's, that's awesome. When you were talking yeah. about, mm -hmm. um, you know, awareness, situational awareness, mm -hmm. kind of made a couple of things quick to me, too. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, this is not only really interesting to the parents who are looking mm -hmm. for the kids not to be bullied, but could also be potentially interest to veteran martial artists because one of the things that we all do once we've done the martial arts for a little while is we start running through endless scenarios, self-defense scenarios, you know, and a lot of those are, you know, trying to figure out how to, you know, resolve the situation. And a lot of times we're not even thinking about verbally resolving it. We're thinking, okay, I'm sitting down here. I want to have my face to the door. So I know someone comes in and if they come in, I'm going to go this way, you know, and I'm, and I'm going to try these things. But let's remember that there's another layer, which is, you know, that verbal, I don't know if you want to call it verbal yeah. judo or violence de-escalation, but yeah. Any of those, you know, we can attach any kind of label of brand name to it, but it's all just using, using your words so you don't have to use your hands. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the things in the martial arts industry that we do really poorly is, We'll drill, we'll spar, we'll do uh, pressure drills, pressure testing, you know, endless repetitions. But when was the last time you drilled on being, uh, you know, quick thinking with your words? Yeah. Right. Yes, right. You know, I'd, I would absolutely encourage every martial artist out there who's serious about self-defense to go up, spend six months taking an improv class. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's good advice. You know, I mean, that's pressure test your words. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I'm sure you experience when you had your school and we experience all the time mm -hmm. is we get a lot of mo moms that come in, their kids being bullied mm -hmm. at school, and they want their kid to be able to defend themselves against the bully. Mm -hmm. But I think what they really want is not is not actually that, because mm -hmm. I was a kid once. <laughs> I started doing martial arts mm -hmm. when I was five, and I've always been a martial mm -hmm. artist as far as I can remember. And I will tell you, in my adolescence when I was in school and stuff just beating somebody up doesn't work because yeah. you look like a monster okay you mm -hmm. have to be really careful like when and how you do it it has to be very very clear everybody around you that this person is attacking you and they want to mm -hmm. harm you and they let you let that play out and there's nothing else you can do and then you defend yourself because if you jump the gun too soon mm -hmm. Like this person saying all these terrible things to you and they're getting up in your face and then you think, okay, well, this is the moment for me to attack. You could attack too soon. And then everyone thinks you're this, you took the situation to this radically too high level and you're a monster. And so this is one of the problems I think with the parents when they come in, they say, 
well, I want you to be able to teach my kid to defend himself. Well, what could happen is, you know, maybe you give them some physical uh, confidence. So now when someone says some mean words to them, they don't shrink and, and, and step back, but instead move forward and engage. But they engage and then they beat up the kid. And then now they're thought of as the bully in the school and they get ostracized mm-hmm. and isolated. And it's actually a worse thing. And the, the one thing that I always want to tell parents when they come in is like, what you really want is you want a leader. You want me to turn mm-hmm. your son or daughter into a leader so that everyone looks up to them and no one even thinks about bullying them because that's the kind of verbal judo that is going to allow that to not even happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you hear a lot of people, and I'm sure you experience too, they come in, they say, oh, I've been in so many fights, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, if you're getting a lot of fights, there's a problem there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no one are looking for them. Mm-hmm. Now, what was the, uh, who was I interviewing? I think I was talking to, I think it was Tony Blair about how you see these, Self-defense instructors who say, I've been in 200 fights. It's like, man, you're not very good at self-defense. You might be great at fighting. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're letting things go, if you're getting into a tussle once a, once a week for four years, yeah, yeah man, you, you need to work on your self-defense skills. And that's, that's what I would say when I had those parents who wanted to talk to have a kid who was being bullied about, I want you to teach them to defend themselves. Mm. I make it very clear that I will teach them physical skills that if they need to, but that's the tip of the iceberg on self-defense. Then we're going to talk about their confidence and how they stand and how they move so that the bully who's looking for the easy target isn't going to come up. We're going to talk yeah. about staying calm in an emergency so you can access humor or self-deprecation or uh, the adult that's right over there that's not seeing it and think to do that under stress. We're going to t- learn these skills. You know, We're going to turn you into a leader so that you're not the person that people look to to bully, but rather the pe- person who people who are are being bullied come stand next to so that the bullies are going to go somewhere else you know we're gonna that's what we're gonna teach and all of that is self-defense yeah no absolutely so if you had i mean mm-hmm. i know your book is wide sweeping and there's probably mm-hmm. a lot of great advice in there but if you had to just give you know one little tidbit that you have in that book that, some bit of wisdom that you learned along the way putting that book together what would that be so i'll go with kind of a there's a overarching theme and then there's also a pretty cool anecdote that I won't tell all of because the guy tells it way better and yeah, as he presents it, but it's, it's really cool. Uh, but the overarching theme is just as, as alpha males who were interested in martial arts, internalizing that permission to walk away from a challenge for a fight, which is very, very, very hard for a lot of us. You know, to really understand that if, you know, if there's some guy on the bus who's being loud and obnoxious and calling you out, saying filthy things about your spouse, you know, there's, there's a part of us because of many aspects of our culture, some of which are good and just often misapplied, that would find it very, very difficult not to walk up to that guy and pop him right in the snout. But is that really how we take care of our families? You know, I mean, we're talking about a guy could have a knife and maybe we can deal with a knife. Maybe we can't, right? Knives, knives are scary, even for a highly advanced martial artist. If you talk to an advanced martial artist who's not afraid of knives, you're talking to somebody who's fibbing about their martial arts skills, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but even if you handle that, you've got hepatitis, HIV, other bloodborne illnesses that you have to deal with, let alone what the police might think about it, let alone about what that guy's uncle's lawyer is going to do with you a year later. Mm-hmm. There are, and none of those, none of interacting with zero of those things 
is actually protecting your spouse. And, you know, we save our skills for when someone is trying to hurt us, somebody we love or an innocent bystander. And our egos need to never be a part of that decision. Yeah. And it's very, very hard for us to really internalize that. But one of the reasons that I've, I'm really excited about how this book is shaping up is that I'm, we're hearing again and again and again from top players in the self-defense and violence game that, yeah, they give themselves that permission all the time. That their ego is not threatened by some loud mouth at a bar. Yeah, I mean, that is just the legality of that. That's a really mm -hmm. important thing to bring up, too. Mm -hmm. I had a friend in college. He told me the story that um, he was he was a lot older than us. You know, mm -hmm. He was in his mid-30s or something, and he was going to college for the first time, I thought. Mm -hmm. And um, he was also a martial artist, and he was in my program. And he told me a story of how he <clears throat> had, there was this girl, uh, when he first got to the college, like 15 years ago, who was uh, in a, a verbal argument with her boyfriend, and her boyfriend's like hit her in the face. And he stepped in, got between the two of them, and ended up fighting this guy. And I think he like fell on his head on the concrete or something, and I think he died. And the woman was like, pissed at him he had to go to jail for a long time and that's mm -hmm. why he was just going mm -hmm. to college then and it was this horrible thing it was like he was trying to help this lady but it mm -hmm. turned out to be basically a disaster and ruined his life and i think a lot of people hopefully a lot of people are aware of that and that makes them uh reluctant to get into fights but it, it's definitely something that you should be because it's uh mm -hmm. it's it's ugly fighting is ugly and i think it gets a uh, the wrong appearance with movies and stuff like that. Like, oh, it's going to be a few simple kicks and you, the person's down and um, you'll just be able to brush your hands off and walk away and be a hero. But that's not, how it, that's not how it works, you know? No. And I think that our industry, we, we tend to, glorify is not the right word, but uh, trivialize violence where we'll get in the class and there'll be a seminar and someone will walk us through some technique and we'll all be giggling a little bit about how that technique's breaking their arm in four places and then we stomp on their groin. <laughs> and, you know, we're all like, <laughs> that's cold, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and we all have part of that. But I think that we've, we're, we often forget that that sanitized violence is not what it looks like and not what it feels like. That there's this fantasy violence we have in the dojo that we see on the screen that is very, very far removed from what it actually is. Mm. And there are also people who mm. know real violence and like mm. that. And that's wrong, too. Um, yeah, you know, I've met a lot of people like that. You know, when mm -hmm. I started, I started in traditional martial arts when I was, you know, mm -hmm. five, and then when I was fifteen, I started getting more mixed martial arts. And by the time I was in college, I was deep into mixed martial arts, and mm -hmm. I, I would train in a lot of really seedy fight gyms with people, characters who had no right mm -hmm. knowing the skills that they mm -hmm. knew, and were very capable fighters, but were not making the world a better place by yeah. having those skills. So and and it is it is absolutely our responsibility to you know the Spider Man was right you know great with the, the great power comes great responsibility you know that is that is our duty as martial artists as warriors to keep the world better while we're in it and leave the world better than we found it yes, absolutely um, well um, mm -hmm. not to derail too much but mm -hmm. I am really no, no, interested no. in your mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> you said you started out in the martial arts, you had a school, mm -hmm. you did that, but these days you're more of a mm -hmm. writer. That is mm -hmm. a really awesome trajectory, I think. 
because I mean, I think most martial artists are kind of warrior poets at heart. That's kind mm -hmm. of the ultimate dream of a martial artist is to be able to make that transition from, you know, the, the kicking and the punching, the physical skills to more of the mental gains. Mm -hmm. um, how did that tr transition happen? And how were you able to become a successful freelance writer? I, I was an English major in college, so I was mm -hmm. really close <clears> to being near and dear to me. And I've tried to write uh, many books failed many times because it's incredibly difficult to um, have that determination like you were talking about where you you know you start and finish it but it's something that the martial arts definitely teaches it's very very hard to do especially if you're running a school because that's already a full time and a half job <clears throat> excuse me there it's already a full time and a half job <laughs> right uh, but the story starts when I was four years old I'm, one of my earliest memories is drawing lines on a piece of paper, pretending that I was writing the story in my head. So this has been something that I've been doing my entire life. Uh, got a lot of, <clears throat> got a, uh, very good feedback from early teachers, early adults in my life about how apparently I had a talent for it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I got, got published a couple of times in middle school, had my first paid article in, the, in uh, high school, was making a little bit of money on the side in college, was told by some college professors, dude, you should do this for a living. Uh, in high school, my two best friends, one's dad was a New York Times bestselling nonfiction author, and the other one's mom was a technical writer. And uh, despite all of this, I went into an entirely different career for the first half of my <laughs> adult life Wow! and went and ran a karate school. Uh, but during that time, I was writing all of my ad copy for my blog. I had a column in the local paper where I would talk about defense, safety, fitness. I was contributing to Black Belt Magazine. I had a couple columns in uh, Natma Maya's uh, little, that, that little thing they send with their monthly packet. I had a couple of, couple of columns in there. And so when I started thinking about, okay, you know what? I really love running the school, but I haven't seen my kid really in months uh, and time to make a change. I had that portfolio already there. Mm, yes, sir. And then through the martial arts and the fact that, you know, the martial arts teaches you how to set a goal, reach that goal and be disciplined about that goal and to do entirely unreasonable things to attain that goal. Yeah. I was able to turn that into a full-time, you know, into a full-time job um, over the course of the first year. That's awesome. So if you could mm -hmm. write about anything, mm -hmm. whether it was going to be marketable or not, I mean, what, what is your preferred mode of writing? What do you enjoy writing most? Well, really, it's most of what I'm writing now. You know, there's, you know, I've got a couple of corporate blogging jobs that, you know, they let me uh, eat food and sleep indoors, which are two things I like a whole lot. <laughs> <clears throat> but I do, I have some uh, young adult adventure novels out there uh, that feature martial arts. Uh, I, those? yeah, they're called the Bushido Chronicles. It's a urban fantasy kind of thing. High school wrestler finds out that he and a bunch of martial artists from his high school are part of this war against demons and they run around and fight demons and save the day, oh, you know, kind of fun, oh, right? You know, uh, what is it I've called? got a, oh, you said it's you're... called the, the Bushido Chronicles. The first book, um, coming home coming is out now. And the second one, um, God, I, we've changed the title so many times, but it's like changing roads, changing streams, something like that. Uh, which, uh, is all of that plus time travel comes out, uh, later this year. Uh, so those are those are a lot of fun. Um, I do a lot of writing in the tabletop role playing game industry because I'm that much of a nerd. Wow, uh, come to the right place because we have our own <laughs> staff Dungeon Dragons campaign going on right now. Outstanding! <laughs> it's it has always amazed me. Well, actually, not really, but 
the number of nerds in martial arts. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's, no, there's, it's there's a, a synergy nerdy there. industry. Yeah, <laughs> there's so many of us. Uh, so I do a lot of that. I'm uh, actually, once I get up this call, I'm going to be uh, finishing up an adventure for the Octoon Cthulhu game, which is uh, World War II if Cthulhu was real. Mm, uh, that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I got, I got tapped to do some writing for their North Africa uh, campaign. But So that's fun. And then um, I'm right now, my agent and I are going out on what I did was I took the, the you remember the old choose your own adventure books? Yes. Absolutely. So I'm taking that concept and using it to apply safety concepts. So, you know, if you, wow. if you help the nice man, go find his puppy, turn to page eight. If you go get your dad instead, turn to page 12, <laughs> that sort of thing. Gotcha. Right. And so wow. we're, we're really excited about that. And we think that that'll get picked up because oh, that's, that's a great idea. Absolutely. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. So I'm fortunate enough to be writing about most of the things that I like to write about. And of course, this book is another piece of that where I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm doing a little writing, but mostly I'm editing and I'm collating or curating all these stories about, you know, the far more important, maybe important is the wrong word, but skills we can use to keep each other safe far more often than we'll ever be called on to use a block or a punch or a throw or a lock. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, sir. Yeah. Jesse, do you have any questions for Mr. Brick? I do. So a lot of the times, you know, as we're, as we're hosting these conversations, I'm back here like, okay, like filtering through all these things I have going through my brain. So, what, you know, what do I really want to cut to the core of uh, once we get to this point? And my, my big question for you is, as you've been moving through this most recent project, you know, it sounds like with Safest Family on the Block, you have already for a couple of years, maybe a few years, been digging into these fundamental safety concepts, right? And saying, okay, you know, like how, how does this impact not just myself as a martial artist, but the people that I am most intimately connected with? And that's, you know, that is already such a special leap from some of the ways that we focus on martial arts as individuals. And Again, my question for you is, how has, with this most recent project, your relationship to the martial arts changed as you've been moving through it? Do you feel like, you know, you've been talking to these people, you're writing this book, and now, as we're nearing the release date, the publication date, do you feel like there's a solid kernel of, like, you know, this is really something that, I, that you have taken to heart and, and taken home here? Mm, yeah, absolutely. And that's a really good question, by the way. But for me, it's uh, kind of, we've, we've uh, flirted with that theme about just expanding my understanding of self-defense and what I'm doing about self-defense, where, you know, even five years ago, I was going to seminar after seminar. If there was a martial arts seminar within a reasonable drive of here, I was there and I was loving it. And I'd spend however much money I could afford to go to these seminars. Um, during that time, there wasn't a single time I went and even re-upped my first aid AED training. Mm. So, and so now I am looking at, you know, getting that stop the bleed training uh, for trauma medicine, looking at maybe even going and getting EMT certification, not for a job, but just so that I have those skills to keep my family and my people safe. Uh, that improv class I talked about, you know, uh, every, you know, Almost everybody who's listened to this show has at least started to read The Art of War. Yeah. How many of them have read The Four Agreements or The Five mm. Love Languages? Um, yes, sir. Right? And so, and so I've 
I, I spent a certain amount of time training in self-defense and martial arts every day. And absolutely the physical skills are part of that, but also I'm not just reading the art of war or Ed Parker's book or whatever, but I'm also expanding that into uh, medicine, especially a wilderness medicine and uh, you know, where there is no doctor and, and emergency yes, medicine, yes. you know, and, and all of those things, because those are also self-defense and not only are they self-defense, they are self-defense skills. We are far more likely to use. You know, yes. um, I, you know, you guys are in Texas, I'm in Oregon. Some people might make some assumptions that are probably wrong about how we feel about guns. Um, <laughs> but one thing that I, one thing that I have become very tired of is people who will lovingly describe every single firearm in their multi-thousand dollar collection, yeah. but can't tell me about their uh, smoke detector. Yeah. Right, and, or or they have you know, or they can't tell me the last time they uh made sure the medicine in their first aid kit was hadn't expired. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I, I love this um, like totality, uh, not, not, not a holistic approach to the martial arts, where it's like mm -hmm. you know everything is the martial arts. That's that is really core to us and what we do here at the school mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, and I won't get into it, but. Um, for me, the thing that I love the most about the martial arts, uh, it's hard to say the most because I love so many other things about the martial <laughs> arts, but one of the things that I really love mm -hmm. about the martial arts is you can never know it all. And yeah. the better you get at striking, the better you get striking, maybe the worse you get at your grappling, the better you get grappling, the worse you get at striking because you just can't do it all, you know. And there's mm -hmm. just so much more to explore weapons, philosophy, history, kinesiology, sports medicine, mm -hmm. massage. I mean, there's a million things, you know, um, and that's what's so exciting about it. Uh, for sure. And, I, and I, I think, you know, a lot of young martial artists don't start doing that. But later, as we grow and we, we develop, we start realizing, wow, this is this is all interconnected and there's a lot more to learn. Absolutely. Yeah, please. One more time. So this, the holistic concept is something that, you know, my, myself kind of stepping into early adulthood um, just trying to really keep my feet on the ground and make sure, okay, you know, like, what am I really trying to set up here? That this concept of self reflection and self care, but also specifically setting goals to care for the people around you and to um, ensure that those relationships you're building, whether they're at home or um, at work or in the community, and it doesn't even have to be with people. You know, I've been thinking about what is my relationship to food in my life right now? What is my relationship to sleep? What is my relationship to um, driving, right? You know, as a young man, I like to go fast on the road. And it has been repeatedly drilled into me um, through looking over at my girlfriend, like, hey, maybe pull back, <laughs> pull back on the speed right now because she's like, oh, we're going a little too fast, right? And that's, you know, those little reminders. And you have this moment, like, we're going a little fast on it. Yeah, but it's okay because I'm a ninja. That's right. Right? That's right. right. <laughs> Just watch. Watch how I avoid these cars. Famous last words. And no, absolutely true. Taking all of that and saying, how is it that I'm approaching life and building out my life from that perspective of self-defense, right? And it's not, you know in listening through this conversation, just from being back here today, a question that comes up is, well, you know, isn't that um, 
insulating like oh like you're you're tucking in like i want to make sure that there's padding around me so that i'm not in competition and i don't see like that at all it's no 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 like i want to be as open and as confident as possible in every way that i can be and know that when those situations arise i'm here to meet it whether it's through that improv as you're saying or through the verbal judo or through you know if necessary that physical um exchange right mm-hmm. confrontation or not like if you have to use your body knowing mm-hmm. going into it you know okay maybe i can you know today yeah. i might be able to to do something here i think you hit on something that's hugely important and a lot of martial arts teachers have felt a little bit of that pushback once in a while where if you're not somebody who knows how to stay safe then you sometimes perceive people who do approach life from that position as being afraid of being insulated, of being armored. And I think early in our process of training in self-defense, we kind of do that. I think it's a necess- it's like the, the pupil stage of becoming a martial artist. But when you are safe and you know you're safe or you know how to stay safe, that does, as you say, it opens up opportunities. Yes. And I'm a very safest con- safety conscious person. But a few years ago, I took my five-year-old and my 15-year-old and we went and lived in Malaysia for a year. Mm. And, uh, and there's no way that I would have done that if I wasn't, didn't feel that I was competent to travel in some kind of sketchy parts of the world with two children. Yeah. Uh, although I'll tell you, after these last two years of interviewing these real experts, man, I had no idea what I was doing. We lucked out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <sir. laughs> Oh, man, I thought I knew what I was doing when I started that podcast. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you got to be careful. I, when I was a kid, I, I, uh, my dad took yeah. us all over the world and went to some yeah. you know, very poor places. But there's poor places, and then there's poor mm. places that are dangerous, you know? Yeah. Got to be really careful you don't go there. And sometimes hard when you don't know the area very well. Um, yeah, yeah, because that's the trouble. Often those are adjoining neighborhoods. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, one thing that came up when you were talking that I remember I wanted to say back when you were talking, sir, was this idea of an improv class being so important to developing those social skills. Um, and I was like, man, someone could make a million dollars if they developed a good course that was like an improv class for martial artists. Yeah, combat improv. Full contact improv. Yeah, yeah. Since you came up with the idea, what would you, what would you, uh, what would be the one thing that you would teach in a class like that, you think? Uh, so it wouldn't be the specifics that I teach, but it would be how it's taught, right? Because you have these, the skills that you teach to defuse things. These are well known, they're well taught, they're well orchestrated by people with more intelligence and more experience than I have. Mm. But what happens in an improv is you get together for a couple hours a week and you practice them in a competitive environment where you're under pressure, it's like sparring. Yeah. And then the, if you do improv seriously, you then go do it in public. Right. 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 And so you're starting to get that, you know, the pressure testing where you try to get yourself adrenally charged and then try to do the technique and you're all, ah, because you've forgotten how your fingers work because you have an adrenal dump, right? Yeah. And we've got all these different ways that we train to try to get accustomed to that adrenal dump so that we can handle things. Yeah. And then improv is a way to do that with your verbal skills. Mm. 
That's awesome. That's so, yeah, it's it's not the curriculum I do. It's just the, the the method of teaching. That's just there aren't very many other places that you that you have the opportunity to do that. It's like when I was running my school, uh, a lot of parents wondered if would ask me about why I have kids spar. You know what? And for me, it's really simple. That when you are sparring, you know, first of all, it's nothing like a fight. It's not even anywhere near like a fight. But the two, thing, the two things you know when you start to spar is, number one, uh, that person standing across the line from me is a trained martial artist. And number two, they're about to start trying to punch me in the head. Yes. And when you're seven years old, eight years old, nine years old, that is the safest, most effective way of teaching a kid how to deal with legitimate fear mm -hmm. that I've ever encountered. Because that's scary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> And getting up and doing improv uh, conversations in front of 80 people you don't know, three of whom came just to heckle you, uh, that's scary. <laughs> well, you know, it reminds me so much of what we do in our mm -hmm. leadership program, which is our instructor yeah. training program here at the academy. Mm -hmm. We do a lot of role play in the office, mm -hmm. on the floor. And then yeah. the role play is really training for the real battle, which is teaching the class in front of the kids. And, you know, a lot of times new people to our leadership program will go, oh, yeah, you know, like, I got it. Like, you know, we'll do some role play on the floor of how to teach a class and we'll do a, a class of miscreants, like kids who are misbehaving and stuff. And they got to mm -hmm. use their um, social skills to basically control the kids and get them back in line. And they'll kind of be like the first day, they'll be like, yeah, yeah, okay, I got it, you know, and then they'll go to teach class. And they don't got it. They'll just be like thunderstruck, you know, like, yeah. oh my gosh. And then they'll come back and be like, okay, role play, role play, role play. Like, this is really important. And that's exactly yeah. what you're talking about, but doing mm -hmm. it for that violence. Like, someone comes in at you, yeah. right up in your face, mm -hmm. and, you know, you're not going to be able to do it in the moment. I, uh, yeah. I remember my mom, she would always say, my mom's a really little lady, and she is quite, quite, like, vicious in a good way. Like, she, she, she would go yeah. back down. But she would always say, well, you, you don't know, I would protect my kids like a, like this, this, uh, like a raging wombat or something, you know, I just, mm -hmm. come out, I just come out and just be ferocious. And it's not just my mom. I mean, I, mean, mm -hmm. I remember so many kids growing up would say stuff like that. Well, you don't know when I would go to fight, I would be like a monster. Well, you don't know. You don't know that, actually. Yeah. And that's probably not what's yeah. going to happen. You're probably going to freeze up and do nothing. Mm -hmm. And the best way to, to even begin to know is doing that. The rope, like you're saying. Well, professionals have a saying about violence, and that is we don't rise to the occasion. We uh, fall to our level of training. Yeah. And although there are exceptions, and I'm glad there are exceptions, uh, that's, that's, you know, everybody I know who has seen violence multiple times uh, agrees with that statement. And so we need to train our physical skills. We need to train our verbal skills. We need to train our awareness you know sitting down and not just kind of puffing our chest and sitting in our corner so we can see the door and making sure all of our friends see us do that which is you know you see people who are like that and it's kind of annoying but also sitting down and playing a game with your kids about hey um in this in this room if i weren't here and you needed help or if i had a heart attack right now which of these people would you go to for help which of these strangers would you approach for help you know or when you're sitting with your buddies you know the okay close your eyes where's the exit you know, and just these little things that training and practicing and gamifying all of these different safety skills, you know, and not just uh, the sparring and the martial arts training, which is, of course, the most fun, 
but it's, you know, some of the least, it's some of the least effective if we do our jobs right, because we'll never be called on to use it. I mean, we're, we're, you know, we're middle-class middle-aged people who live in the suburbs. We're, we're not in peril of being attacked. Yeah. <laughs> I heard some scary statistics though. I was looking at the mm-hmm. mortality, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. number one ways people die and it was, it was wild. Okay. The number mm-hmm. one way people die mm-hmm. is accidental injury. Just like tripping over the feet and stabbing themselves in mm-hmm. a protractor. I mean, I'm, I'm joking, but mm-hmm. something like absurd like that. Mm-hmm. And number two way is they kill themselves, which is also mm-hmm. really sad. And this is this is in like I can't remember mm-hmm. the exact demographics, but like five to thirty-five or something. That that younger yeah. kind of generation where people are yeah. when natural far. causes. Yeah, yeah. When natural causes aren't happening to us yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And, and then the third yeah. one, which I was horrified mm-hmm. to find out, was murder. Mm-hmm. Was murder. Yeah, you know, so you do need to be aware of what's yeah. going on. Because- Although the numbers on that, because this this has been a thing I've I've gone deep on the data on. Okay, yeah. I'm a nerd. Um, the numbers on that are a little misleading because this, it's not because people between um you know five and thirty five are getting killed all the time. It's because they're just not dying very often. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> In general, <laughs> right? You know, um, when, yeah. I, when I was a kid, I used to worry about like, oh my god, maybe I have a brain tumor in my head or something. Yeah. I need to get checked out. But the thing is, you're much more likely to just fall and stab yourself with a protractor yeah. mm-hmm. or get, get, yeah. kill yourself from, you know, depression than you are to have yeah. something like that kill you. Exactly. And, you know, and the, and the homicide spike is almost entirely 16 to 26-year-old men doing stupid things. Mm. Yes. <laughs> right? And it's also very easily avoidable if you're a martial artist and you train to be confident and you're able to walk away. And, of course, for, you know, accidental death, uh, Single most important physical self-defense skill you're ever going to learn is your break falls. Yeah. Well, yeah, especially when you get older. I always tell my, yeah. my older students, because, mm-hmm. like, you know, they don't like falling. You know, it, you know, it yeah. hurts as you get older and whatnot. But, mm-hmm. hey, guys, you got to start practicing this now when you're in your 50s so that when you slip on the ice when you're mm-hmm. 65, 70, you don't, like, break your hip yeah. and, and die or something or, you know, hit your head on the ground um, because yeah. it's a really important skill. And it's, again, it's one we'll actually use. I've been in a fight since 2004, but I fall down twice a year whether I need to or not, you know? <laughs> and so, it's right? like every day, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, it's, it's bad. Uh, yeah. Yeah, very recently, uh, actually not that recent, it's been about four years, I was leaning against the rail at this cabin up, up in the mountains outside of Bend with my, at that point, he was six years old, kid leaning against my chest, and the rail broke. Oh. And it was uh, five feet down to a wood pile. Oh, my God. And I did like this three-stage break fall against the against the post and then against the deck itself and then against some of the stuff. I got a little road rash here, a little bruise here. Kid wanted to do it again. Um, all right. Well, but that's, that is what? self-defense skills mm. that saved my, me and saved my kid. Well, sir, I have a lot of respect yeah. for that because I'm pretty good with my break falls, but I wouldn't trust myself doing a backwards break fall falling backwards off the deck because that's just... I wouldn't have done it on purpose. I'm here to tell you, <laughs> but yeah, wow. but it's, but yeah, it's, it's another example of that's a physical self-defense skill we learned, yeah. but I think most martial artists I know have one story about a patch of ice or they were carrying a box and didn't see the thing in the pathway hmm. where they would have gone to the hospital if they hadn't done their 10,000 reps on the break falls. Yes, sir. That is awesome. That is very wise. You know, and those are the little battles that we were talking about, you know, yeah. that really matter. 
that you're going to be exposed to every day. You know, you're going to defend yourself once or twice in your life if you are unlucky, but you're going to use those kind of skills all the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. Mr. Brick, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I mean, I think you have some really illuminating things to say about, you know, violence and how to de-escalate it. I'm really excited to read your book and learn more. And I know you interviewed so many great people that, you know, I know so much about, you know, I've read Rory Miller's Meditation on Violence and I'm excited to hear what he has to say uh, in your book. Um, you know, any, any closing thoughts, Jesse, before we kind of wrap things up? I think, um, I mean, thanks again for coming on, Mr. Brick. And we definitely have so much that I'm interested in from this conversation. This is one of the first times I've really sat down and like, as we're talking, I'm like taking notes and I'm like, oh, you know, what do I really want to make sure I can dig into after? And my note card is full of just all of these references and projects that you've worked on and projects that we've um, referenced and talked about a little bit. So it's been you know, really great having you on and it's been an awesome conversation. Well, thank you, Jim. I really appreciate you having, you, having me on. I'm, it's my goal. Like you mentioned Rory Miller. I always get a little frustrated with Rory because I can't read one of his books without going and then spending $100 on more books that he <laughs> that he mentions and recommends in his book, right? right? Yeah. yeah, it always it always costs me 100 bucks to have a conversation with Rory. <laughs> and, <laughs> but I, that's kind of a life goal. If I can, if I can make people curious about things, mm, then yeah. I figure I've done my, I've done my job. Yeah, absolutely. Because I ain't that bright, but I listen to really smart people and I remember what they tell me. <laughs> that's, a, that's very true for me too. Um, well, sir, you know, thanks so much. Until your next book, you know, we'd love to have you back on and we can talk more about that. Or if you ever want to talk about something, we're here for to uh, to listen, to learn. And um, you're a great conversationalist. It was good talking as you are writing, uh, I'm sure. So thanks for coming on. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Have a great, great day. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed that podcast, please consider liking and subscribing to our YouTube channel, as well as hitting the notification bell. We offer in-person, group, and private lessons at our facility in Kyle, Texas, as well as virtual lessons anywhere in the world. If you'd like to learn more about our programs, you can find us online at risingphoenixtkd.com.